K-A-L-W. And when you yell at the dog, you spray the dog, you do leash corrections, you're trying to suppress behavior. The dog might learn to be quiet, but the underlying motivation for that behavior never goes away. Sometimes to fix their pet's behavior issues, humans need to look at their own behavior first. We want a relationship that's not based on dominance, but like mutual respect. Today, we meet a veterinarian using psychiatry to tackle our animals' bad habits. Then we hear how a violinist brings joy to people's lives. The music is wonderful, and the idea that it's being played from a Black gay man is farthest from their mind. And a Berkeley author shares tips from her new book. That's coming up. I'm Sunni Khalid in for Hana Baba, and this is Cross Currents. Today, we start with a news story from our At Work series, exploring the jobs of the Bay Area and meeting the people that do them. I have a lot of pride in my work. How do you do it? Sprays, masks, gloves. I'm with the Swamp Team. Hi, my friends, and how are you? It's nice now with technology. Pandora's box has been opened. It's a beautiful way to make your living, but it's more work than I ever imagined. Have you ever wondered what is going on inside the mind of your pet? Dr. Weilani Sung knows the answer. She works with animals, but her job is really about teaching the humans how to interpret their pets' behaviors to help solve their issues. KALW's Astrid Fidel spent a day with her. In the consultation room of the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Hospital in San Francisco, two patients, a pet and his owner, are waiting for the doctor. We're so interested in finding out more about you, Wit, and about Tenzin. Okay. What do you think, handsome? <laughs> okay, everybody please have a seat. He's such a handsome boy, and did you say he was... Wit sits boy? on the sofa. Tenzin, a two-year-old German shepherd, sits between his owner's legs. He, uh, he's really smart. Uh, he's very friendly. All right, so he sounds like the perfect dog. Yeah. Except, Except why are we here today? Here's the thing, we aren't here for an infection, a vaccine, or any surgery today. Instead, we'll be talking about pets' emotions. But Tenzin the dog won't sit still. Yeah. Sit. Does that, is that a sit? That doesn't look like a sit to me. Instead, he throws his two front legs on the doctor's office desk. The big boy is now above her. She laughs and stands up in front of him. And this is when I realized that Dr. Walini Song's blonde highlights and black uniform perfectly match Tenzin's fur. Sit. What I'm trying to do is wait, because he eventually needs to close his mouth in order to swallow. And when he closes his mouth, he takes deeper breaths through his nose. Mm -hmm. So that's calming for him. Sit. He's not very patient. In fact, the dog is too excited by the treats in her hand. And if he can't close his mouth, I'm going to wait for that one second he stops panting. <laughs> I'm going to reward him. Yes. Good job, buddy. So the reason I'm pointing this out is that you can help relax him. If he seems overly worked up, you can teach him to settle. 
if this is sounding more like a therapy session for pets rather than a standard veterinary consultation, well, that's because it kind of is. Dr. Song is one of the nation's 74 pet psychiatrists, better known as veterinary behaviorist, and her journey started with her first dog. My parents are immigrants from China, um, and they didn't know anything about raising a dog. So we did everything wrong from the beginning. My dog pulled on leash, she was aggressive, because we were using punishment before, and it didn't really work. So as a teenager, I went to the library and I started checking out books regarding dog training, and voila, you know, a whole new world opened up to me, and my dog just blossomed. This experience led Dr. Sung to pursue an undergraduate degree in agriculture and life sciences at Cornell University. There, she became a research assistant for a leading veterinary behaviorist, and this is where she found her calling. So she earned two doctorates from the University of Georgia, one in psychology, the other in veterinary medicine. In 2017, she started working for the San Francisco SPCA. Her mission, preventing owners from abandoning or euthanizing their pets. And now I can help people understand why their pets do the things they do, and help them resolve or manage their behavior issues, right? And that really helps enhance the human-animal bond. Dr. Song's week generally starts with a visit to the sheltered animals. With her behavior team, she evaluates the needs and progress of each one of them until they're ready to be adopted. She also offers consultations. Now, back to the behavior specialty clinic with Tenzin the dog. Did you hear that? Like most human therapists, Dr. Song asks a lot of questions during the session. Her goal is to get a holistic perspective on the pet's lifestyle and find the roots of their problems. So he barks a little bit. Yeah. He barks like what, once or twice? Any, any crying during that time, do you know? And how long can he wait for? So tell me about his level of anxiety. And then she catches something. Um... There's one dog on our street that he will always bark at, and then there's one baby. One baby? He sees it and he barks? Yeah, it's a weird thing. I don't know if it means anything. And here's the heart of Dr. Song's work. Help owners understand their pets so they change their perception from my dog is misbehaving to my dog is not okay, he needs my help. Because this approach is based on the belief that fear and anxiety are the roots of pets' misbehavior. So once Wit learns to read his dog body language and realize when he's uncomfortable, how can he help? And what we're trying to do is every time you see that couple with the baby, something awesome happens, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like every time you walk out of your apartment, you see your neighbor. They always say something rude to you. Mm -hmm. But what if every time you saw them, you got $1,000? Then you kind of start like looking forward to seeing them. And then your tolerance increases because it doesn't matter what they say to you, you start thinking, cha-ching, I'm gonna get thousand dollars, right? So first step, change Tenzin's emotional response towards his source of anxiety. Step two, redirect Tenzin's attention. With words like look, touch, or find it, wit will distract his dog from his trigger and reward him a lot because treats and praises are critical to change a behavior. 
we are making sure that our clients are really using positive reinforcement training so the dog has a positive association with these words. Because think about the words in our life that make us feel happy. For a lot of people, it's like, free, vacation, you win. For me, I always tell everybody my happy words are sale and clearance. And I want these little basic words for dogs. Oh, I like doing touch. When I do touch, yes, good things happen. This is called behavior modification therapy. And as you probably noticed, it's not your typical dog training. Think about it as exercises that teach your pets how to feel better when someone or something gives them anxiety. And for owners, this method is a change of paradigm. Here, the pet is not just seen as a thing bred for us that we need to control and make behave. We want a relationship that's not based on dominance, but like mutual respect. With her approach, Dr. Song pushes to deconstruct old-fashioned myths about animals that people have carried through history. Quite often we say, no, don't do that, or, you know, and we don't follow through with what the dog should do. You just need to be consistent and not automatically think the dog can read your mind, you know, or automatically assuming the dog knows what no means, right? Let's call this human training. And why is it important? The doctor explains. When you yell at the dogs, you're trying to suppress behavior. And the dog might learn to be quiet, but the underlying motivation for that behavior never goes away. And sometimes people do that, and then all of a sudden, the dog like suddenly lunges and bites someone, and they're like, oh my god, and I, they didn't give me any warning. Well, they didn't give you any warning because you suppressed their early warning system. The barking and growling is telling you they're uncomfortable. Through her work, Dr. Waleni Song hopes to improve the quality of life for both pets and their owners and prevent animals from getting mistreated or abandoned. And I want people to give animals a chance. I want to help them keep the animals in their life. In San Francisco, I'm Astrid Fidel for Cross Currents. Astrid is a current fellow in our Audio Academy, our unique nine-month radio journalism training program. And KLW is now accepting applications for our three-month summer news internship. It's designed for early career radio reporters who want to gain experience in a supportive and creative newsroom. We are nationally known for our training programs, and we're proud of our track record for developing diverse public media talent. So come learn with us. Head to KALW.org slash summer to find out more. Listening to Cross Currents from KALW News. I'm Suni Khalid in for Hana Baba. After returning home from performing in Dubai last spring, San Francisco violinist Kippy Marks felt unusually tired. He later discovered he had liver disease. Doctors found a donor quickly for Kippy because he has a rare blood type. Kippy is known for his joyful performances 
and charitable work. The Bay Area's LGBTQ plus community and friends wanted to reciprocate that joy. So they came together last summer and raised money to support Kippy while he was recovering from his liver transplant surgery. Kippy has a new album called Yesterday is Tomorrow. He wrote it while healing from his transplant. KALW's Janae Darden spoke with Kippy in 2022 about his music journey and his violin that he named Isabella. Kippy, welcome. Hello, hello. <laughs> it's great to see you. Yes, I'm so happy to speak with you. Okay, so I read that you just picked up the violin in grade school and started playing it. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. I sure did. So I was going to be a lawyer. This is in El Paso, Texas. I was in the fourth grade right after my parents got divorced. My mother moved to me and my brother to the west side of El Paso, Texas. My homeroom class, her name was Mrs. Scasta. And she was teaching the fourth grade homeroom class how the American judiciary system worked. So we spent a whole year learning how the American judiciary system worked based on the game Clue. Oh, okay. And I was the prosecuting attorney. And I worked half a year to prepare how the butler did it and what he did it with. And I was, I was given my dissertation in the middle of my dissertation, they brought in an orchestra, you know, uh, a, a quartet into the room and just totally stopped my thunder from happening and said, we're starting an orchestra. And they did a little demonstration of the Ina Klingenach, the Mozart. And I was just livid. I'm like, how dare you take away my thunder? I had all these people in the grasp of my hand and I knew I was going to be a lawyer. I said, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I'm going to be a lawyer. And they brought in these, this quartet and they did this demonstration and they said, would anybody like to try? And I was already standing up, upset. So I was like, I will. And so the teacher did Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Mm -hmm. And I just watched his body mechanics. I watched what he was doing. And then I tried it. I picked up the instrument and I just mimicked him. And I played da, 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 da. And then it just happened. It was a true gift from God. And I understand in, in San Diego, you met Isabella. Oh, Isabella. Honey. <laughs> That's Tell my us girl. About, tell us about <laughs> your girl, Isabella. That's my girl. Okay, so I was playing in Balboa Park, you know, for many, many years. And this family used to come and see me play. And they, they'd bring their kids and a picnic basket. And they would sit across underneath the trees. And they would just listen to me play. You know, listen to different artists play, too. And so I'd seen them maybe for a year. They would come regularly for a year. And I didn't see them for a year. And then they came back again and they had this Navy duffel bag. And inside this Navy duffel bag was the original case that she came in. And it was wrapped in bungee cord. And they said, we have this violin and we're, we're leaving the country. And we want it to be, it's been in our family for years. And we want it to be used. And we love the way you play. And we know that you'll play it all the time. So they showed me the instrument. I plucked the violin string, then it went bling, 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 bling. And I literally got tears in my eyes. And I was like, oh my God, where have you been all my life? <laughs> and this is back in um, 95. Is Isabella? 
Isabella is 200 this year. So she was made in 1822 in Mittenwald, Germany. My goodness. And she's a Hoinsteiner Stradivarius. You're very involved in the community, in, in different organizations, in different communities within the community. Um, I know you're involved in the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. How has performing the violin or has performing that violin empowered you as someone who's black and queer, maybe even helped you find your identity? Yeah, it's um, playing the violin in general has been a blessing. I knew that when I chose to play the violin, as a little child and I played it for the first time and I knew law was out and music was in, I knew that this was my destiny and this was my my path in life is to be able to to utilize, you know, my blackness and my gayness as a stepping stool to literally end so much stigma within the community, you know, in all community and the prejudice and the racism and the and the homophobia and just the fear that human beings tend to do a lot. And that music kind of transcends that and just kind of dissolves all that away because there's no, as an instrumentalist, there's no words. I'm not speaking words, I'm speaking emotions. And I'm not telling an individual how to think. When they hear the music, wherever they go, they go there within their own self. decided to move to San Francisco, I knew that I wanted to make this community a part of my being. And so I came here and I started doing street performing again. And then that led to getting a Garadelli Square where I was a regular there all the time. So that got me off of being able to have to, to be on the streets and to mm-hmm. just to see the people walking by, they hear the music first, they don't see the person. And then when they see me, all this stigma kind of just dissipates because they're, they're so... The music is wonderful, and the idea that it's come being played from a black gay man, you know, is is farthest from their mind. So it allows them to be open to hearing the music first and letting the music do the healing and the growth, you know, of the inner growth of all individuals who come in contact with with me and Isabella. I know you've played for charities and fundraisers to help yeah. people, and this year you needed help. And the community showed up for you because you had a liver transplant. I did. I had a I, in April, March and April. I got back from my tour in Dubai. I was I was in Dubai and in Europe for three months, from mid of September all the way through uh, the mid December. And I came back and everything seemed to be fine. And then end of March, beginning of April, I started having less energy and I didn't quite know what was going on. You know, I knew something was up, but I wasn't I wasn't quite sure. And then it turns out that I ended up having cirrhosis of the liver and from my party days as a young kid drinking all that alcohol, you know, mm-hmm, and just mm-hmm. tearing myself up thinking I'm invincible, you know, which is the standard growth pattern, <laughs> you know. And so my liver gave out on me and the community has rallied behind me and really supported me through this transition. And I ended up getting approved for a new liver on June 15th. And then June 15th in the evening time, the doctors came back in and said, hey, guess what? We have a liver for you and we're gonna do the surgery tomorrow. Wow. And it was June 16th that I got my liver. It was all so surreal. (laughs) 
I was like, okay, all of this is happening way too fast, but thank you all for the prayers. Thanks everyone for everything. And I, and I'm getting a new liver and the community was just like, yay. And they started a GoFundMe page to keep me going since I couldn't work and I had to cancel so many gigs. Where does the joy, you know, this this joyful spirit, this positive spirit that you have, where does that come from? Growing up, my father was a pastor. I grew up uh, Church of God in Christ. So very, very, very heavily spiritual family. Everyone on my mother's side of the family, all all the women on my mother's side are very much devout lovers of Christ. You know, they are very much into it. And I used to go to church and church for me was Sunday school, service, evening service. You know, Sundays lasted all day long. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so knowing, having this having this foundation of Christ and loving Christ and loving life and creation. My mother sang in the choir and, you know, my dad was the pastor of the church. And so there was a whole sense of spirituality that's always been connected with me. And even growing up, even when the divorce was happening, I remember looking at the picture of Christ, who were black. He was a black Jesus. He was a black Jesus, okay. <laughs> he, was a, he was a black Jesus. <laughs> I remember looking at him and going, okay, well, what am I doing here? Because some of the things that I'm hearing are not necessarily what I'm seeing. You know, there's a lot of talking and not a lot of action of, of the word and happening within me. And And I remember God saying, you know, you're going to, you're going to be someone very important and you're, you're going to influence a lot of souls. A lot of my children will be able to be blessed because of you. And I knew at that. So when we moved to the west side of El Paso, Texas, after the divorce, and then music came into my life. First, it was a lawyer and then music came into my life. I knew at that moment that this is what I meant to do. That was violinist Kippy Marks speaking with KALW's Janae Darden. The interview was co-produced by Porfirio Rangel. Kippy's new album, Yesterday is Tomorrow, is available now. This is Cross Currents. I'm Sunni Khalid in for Hana Baba. Next, we get writing tips from an award-winning Berkeley author. In this episode of our podcast, New Arrivals, Susan Griffin reads from her new book, Out of Silence, Sound, Out of Nothing, Something. It guides readers through the process of writing from the inside out, beginning to end. This passage is about beginning. The idea of a blank page can be daunting, frightening enough to stop you in your tracks, but fortunately the blank page is not really where most writers begin. With a few exceptions, that page usually appears much further along in the process, when you are better prepared to meet the challenge. Most often, whether fiction or nonfiction, a play or an essay, a work of literature makes its first appearance in a far less developed form, febrile, subtle, hardly articulated, not yet delineated in any way. 
To find the beginning of something in this embryonic state, you will need to pay attention to the thoughts that pass through your own mind. Or to put it another way, you will need to learn to pay attention to your own attention. Where are your thoughts drifting? What seems to draw your interest over and over? What subject will make you rush to see a film or read a book that has just been released? What idea, place, person, or event, whenever mentioned or alluded to, quickens you, making your heart beat a little faster? That was Susan Griffin reading from Out of Silence, Sound Out of Nothing, Something. It came out in January. New Arrivals is produced by Lisa Morehouse. Now, before we go, let's listen to some new music from a local artist. This is Oakland singer Madeline Kenny, and she will be playing in San Francisco's Bottom of the Hill this Thursday. Today's team includes Priscilla Na Ankra, Andrew St. Singh, James Rollins, Gonady Joe Johnson, Victor Tents, Shireen Adel, Marissa Ortega Welch, and Ben Trefney. Our opening theme music is by the John Santos Quintet, as interpreted by Daoud Anthony. For Cross Currents, I'm Sunni Khalid.